You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three, The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. At the bottom of the hour, Tommy Wielden Jr., Calgary FC head coach and manager. Tee up the second semifinal at the World Cup today. France and Morocco. We'll also give away day number eight of our 12 Days of Christmas from our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Um, Alice Ovechkin scored goal number 800 last night. Give us something outside of the mundane that you've done 800 times on the text line, 960-960, name and location. Uh, the best text will win day number eight. We don't know what's behind the door, the mystery door, but keep yeah. those texts rolling in, 960-960, name and location. Something you've done 800 times outside of the mundane. I know hitting the snooze button and swearing while you have to go to work, probably done that at least 800 times. Something out of the ordinary you've done 800 times, and if you actually think about it, Probably not too many things. So you mentioned this. 800 goals would be like a lot to do. I've played beer league hockey for basically 11 years. Every month of the year, I do summer and winter. I think I may have taken 800 penalties to put my team shorthanded in key situations. Okay. Or it just feels that way? Yeah, it feels like that for sure. Uh, You know what it feels like? Uh, Chaos in Vancouver, (laughs) which I think with people in in our business, I think it's... It's, it's, it's kind of fun to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Randy uh, Janda, Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi host, and Canucks game analyst at our friends at Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Randy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. You're talking about doing uh, something outside the mundane 800 times. I feel like I've addressed Canucks trade rumors over the last yeah. few years about 800 times. <laughs> Probably. Like, just <laughs> from a media perspective. Is it a little better when there's so much of this drama surrounding the team when you're doing shows on a daily basis? Yeah, from an entertainment perspective, um, no question. Whenever you have to, <laughs> either you want the team to win or you want them to do whatever the Canucks have been doing the last couple of years because there's so much to talk about. So uh, it hasn't been dull, let's put it that way. Is there a team that's more, and Maddie and I talked about this, in NHL purgatory more than the Vancouver Canucks? A team that isn't bad enough to completely bottom out or really good enough to potentially win a Stanley Cup. Is Vancouver maybe the, the poster child for that in the NHL right now? I think it is, and it has been for the last uh, little while here. Uh, you know, Essentially, since the, the Sedins retired, there was a few moments, a few seasons where they weren't good enough, but right now with the moves that not only Jim Benning made, and predominantly the moves that Jim Benning made with the Oliver Ekman Larson deal, with Connor Garland and all the money that you have tied up in, in you know that trade alone, but you've got good enough players in Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and when Thatcher Demko's healthy and ready to go, uh, Bo Horvath, but guys, that defense, uh, the team defense as a five-man unit across the board, it's not good. So you have skill, but you're really lacking on the defensive side of things with this team. And yeah, they're, they're the poster boy right now where they can put up goals. They can defend them. Uh, Randy, how much of a curse was their run in the bubble that set the franchise back now in the future? It was a, it was a, a mirage moment for this team because, you know, you saw that success. Um, and what really, what happened was, you know, cause some key players that are now in Calgary, uh, and Chris Canov and Jacob Markstrom left the team, and they're a really, really important piece of this team. Uh, and then you added a Tyler Toffoli, who's also in Calgary now. Uh, and when those players left, it felt like, okay, how do you carry on after that moment? Um, 
And I think the team and the manager and probably ownership decided, hey, there's enough there's enough youth on this team that will guide the way. There's some other veteran pieces. But the key was that, you know, Tan of Markstrom and Toffoli were important pieces that they could never really find in free agency. They couldn't build up internally. So, yeah, that bubble experience was a mirage in the sense that it was so important to keep some of those veteran players. And, you know, for cap reasons, for valuation reasons, you can understand why they didn't. But that bubble moment did create some sort of, uh, you know, uh, basically a picture or, or a future that didn't exist for the Canucks. So that, you know, it was a nice little run from the Canucks, but it committed. They doubled down on something that uh, this is a team in transition right now, straightforward you know, to the point. And that bubble moment, I think, complicated it because it was, it was kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia. It didn't exist, right? Like that, that bubble moment <laughs> was, was, was something that existed, but at the same time it didn't. So I think that did set them kind of down the wrong path and maybe gave them this a bit of illusion where they need a lot more than they have in terms of building out the organization. Uh, I wanted to ask about the captain, Bo Horvat, and everything that's going in with the, the statement yesterday, not going to address his future anymore throughout the course of the season. Obviously, he's a UFA at the end of the year, $5.5 million cap, and he's 27 years old. This is a guy that a lot of teams would covet if they're looking to um, go the whole way by the end of the season. I guess what has been your your take on how this has evolved over the course of the season for Bo Horvat and the Canucks? Well, going back to yesterday and that statement, it really came out of nowhere. I didn't expect to see that statement. It's it's one way to deal with the whole situation, you know, amidst the most recent contract and trade rumors. But I believe, you know, the players coming at it from a perspective of, hey, if I address it, we get in front of it as an organization. We won't have to deal with this much. Maybe it makes it easier in the locker room. But the reality is Vancouver, like any other Canadian market, and I would say more than most, is, is a market that won't shut up about this. This conversation is going to continue. And he's been the face of the franchise going back to 2019 when he was named captain. They're in a real you know, interesting situation right now. Um, this move, along with the JT Miller move, was really supposed to guide where this organization is going, what direction they're going to be going. And, and, you know, he's had an unbelievable start to the year, guys. 20 goals this year in 28 games. He's on pace for 59 goals, which is great for Bo Horvat. It's great for his bank account. And I do believe there's an appetite for the Canucks that they want to keep him, but there's always a price. And Jim Rutherford has mentioned this pretty openly. He hasn't been shy about this in the past, is that if the numbers match up with what they want, they'll make it happen. If not, they'll trade him. And as of right now, just the way that he's been able to score, just the way that he's been able to put up points and really be one of the best two C's you can say in the NHL, especially from a goal scoring and a faceoff perspective, mm-hmm. it, as of right now, feels like the Canucks will be priced out of this. It feels like this is trending towards a trade because for a team that needs so much, and we talked about this, they're kind of stuck in that middle area. You have to at some point make a move, whether it was with JT Miller, who they signed in the offseason, re-signed in the offseason, or another one of your impending UFAs. And, and as of right now with Bo Horvat, for a team that needs so much, you're going to have to trade somebody. And the other players on this team, whether it's a Brock Besser, Connor Garland, they don't have that much value right now. So mm. I think all eyes are pointing on the Bo Horvat trade discussion for that reason. What about uh, perhaps an Andre Kuzmenko or maybe a Luke Shen, a couple of pending UFAs who are also having very good years? Yeah, Andre Kuzmenko is a really interesting one because he's got a, a pretty good friendship with Ilya Mikheyev. He's a guy that, in his own right, is you know on pace for, what, 35 goals, 
a 70-point season and really came out of nowhere. He was the big question heading into the season to say, is he going to be an NHL player? Not how good is he going to be, is it will he stick around? And he's been, you know, with Elias Pettersson when they played together, looked excellent. When he's played even further down the lineup in the third-line role, he's actually looked pretty good. So I think on Kuzmenko, there probably is an appetite to keep him just to say, okay, is he a player that you could potentially extend on a multi-year deal? But we'll see. You know, this is up to the player as well. His agent and him have talked about how they're not going to discuss anything until the offseason. Now, if that is something that is real, if you're the kind of, can you take that chance? Can you, can you take that risk? So that situation is going to be a really interesting one because I'm sure there'll be interest in him across the league. But Luke Shen is, is a player that is very well loved here in Vancouver. But I think if you're the Canucks, you have to explore that deal because there is value right now. He's done an amazing job since his days in Anaheim to find who he is as a player. And he's, you know, as you guys have seen, I'm sure, and I'm sure we'll probably see tonight, he's good for four or five hits every single night. He makes life difficult for any opposition. And in the playoffs, those guys are valued, especially on the right-hand side. So I look at, you know, Luke Shen and say, there's going to be interest there. And if you're the Canucks, you're probably in a situation right now, even though you're, you may have, and the players in that room are always going to have playoff aspirations. They're going to try to make the playoffs. But what this team also needs is they need a lot of draft picks. They need a lot of young players to address the depth down the road. And, you know, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, they're in a unique circumstance here where for the last year or so, they've been trying to figure out and evaluate this roster I think we've seen what this team is. They're a team that can score. They can't protect a lead. They can't protect the front of their net. So there are going to be some tough choices. And I feel like Luke Shen is a player at this point in time, if you can get a decent draft pick for him, you try to move him out. And maybe you try to bring him back in the offseason because he does live in BC. Randeep Janda, Hockey Night Canada, Punjabi host, Canucks game analyst at Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Randeep, from the outside, uh, when I heard about the JT Miller contract, my first reaction was, woof, that's a bad deal. How was that received in Vancouver? I think initially it was felt that, hey, a 99-point player, and if he can play down the middle, this this will be a good deal based on the fact that you might have the best center trio for a team that's trying to be competitive right now in the league. But the problem is, and as we saw through the first 10 games of the season, JT Miller down the middle has not worked. That experiment has not worked. So I think if you start looking at his play most recently, guys, this has been, you know, his points will always be there. He, he picks up his points a lot on the power play. He's a guy that is extremely skilled. Um, he's a power forward, which you appreciate that style of game. But when you're building out a roster and you're committing $56 million, the question is, if you're billed as a center, can you consistently play in that role? Can you be trusted defensively? And JT Miller did that last year. But here's the problem. This year, you know, he hasn't been a trusted player. Even that last game against Minnesota, you know, JT is generally good for a couple of pretty big giveaways in every single game. And one of his led to a shorthanded goal. So there's a lot of scrutiny of JT Miller right now in this market. And that deal hasn't kicked in. And you guys know as well as I do, when you're winning, Vancouver's a great town. When you're not and you're making a, a big ticket, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a rough look. So I think with JT Miller, initially that deal was looked on and said, all right, if this team can build off the Boudreaux bump of last year and you have Bo Horvat, you have Elias Pettersson, and you have JT Miller down the middle, this team can do some damage. But guys, JT Miller has not been a center thus far this year. And I know Bruce Boudreaux has faith in him to play that position. 
but he hasn't shown that. So that's why I think that look deal is already being looked at a little differently here in Vancouver to say, if he's not a center, did, did they just, you know, pay all that money to a winger as he gets older? Is that going to be a potentially a problem deal? Because you don't have that depth down the middle that you think you did. Uh, Randy, where does Canucks Twitter uh, rank on irrational fan bases in Canada? Oh, man. Uh, this, is, this is a question that might make, get, get me in trouble as well. But you're in Calgary. You're fine. You're safe. You're swimming in the warm waters no. of Calgary right now. It's okay. I, you, you can talk about splash this. Splash around the pool I, of truth. That's right. I've said this on, on the show in the past as well on my show. Uh, Vancouver, uh, Canucks Twitter is wild. It's crazy. I, you know, I don't have experience <laughs> with other Twitter fan bases as much. I, you know, I do a lot of national coverage with Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, but my day-to-day work has been in Vancouver for a long time. Um, Canucks Twitter is crazy, and the reason I say that isn't you guys, you know, you, you had your moment in Calgary winning the Stanley Cup. Every Canadian team almost, you know, chose to Winnipeg, Ottawa, and others, but you know, there's a couple of teams that, going back to 1970, the pain of three over, or sorry, Stanley Cup losses, the, the pain of, you know, as you mentioned, being in purgatory for a few years, it really gets to you. And Canucks Twitter represents that. Canucks Twitter, in my opinion, is a top three Twitter in the NHL. And it's closer to one than it is three. Let's put it that way. Mm. <laughs> I like well, that it's wild, it. guys. It's yeah, wild. no, yeah, oh, no, yeah. It's, it's good we, because we like passion. And sometimes uh, a little too passionate. We've even played uh, some clips on those blown ups. We did some tweets here on our show about okay. early on in the season when the Canucks were blowing those two goal leads. Uh, there's some interesting tweets that fans send out, and there's a lot of vitriol uh, <laughs> that we see on Canucks Twitter, which makes it super interesting and super fun at the same time. Yeah, I, I will say this: I, I have not turned my notifications off though, so I'm I'm there for the ride. I, it's okay. like a, it's a roller coaster to me. I, I I take the ups and the downs, so. Have things kind of cooled off between the head coach and Jim Rutherford? We haven't heard Jim Rutherford take a shot at him in an interview in a couple weeks. It feels like uh, we're kind of due for one. Things have cooled off a bit, but you can see, you know, how frustrated Bruce Boudreau gets after every single loss, and especially with losses that maybe don't necessarily have the effort that he wants. And I think Minnesota was a classic example of that where, you know, they come off, a couple of a couple of games where they're looking pretty decent. Maybe it looks like okay, they've beaten some some weaker teams, but they're building some confidence. And then you have an opportunity where you don't take advantage of that. You don't have an opportunity to you know you don't show your best, and they lose to three nothing to a backup goalie in Philip Gustafson. They barely challenge the Wild in that game, and you can sense that frustration from Boudreau bubbling up again. You know his practices, especially the last two or three, have been pretty passionate. Boudreau is not one to shy away when he thinks his team is not executing drills the way he wants them. So you're definitely less noise in the media. Neither the coach nor the president have really mentioned anything on that front. And Rutherford hasn't done any interviews in some time, a couple of weeks anyways. But you can definitely feel after the loss, there was some tension in the room. And, and that happens, right? When you're a team that is amongst the hottest teams in the NHL, and since, you know, essentially the final 56 games of the year as Boudreau coached, and you come back and you go winless in your first seven, you're behind it. And on top of that, you're losing games in, you know, historically bad fashion, giving up leads. Uh, you're, you're not playing to the standard that they should be. If you look at that roster, especially the forward group guys, you know, the way that they started off here and the way that they sometimes play in games, even though I know that defense is not great, but that forward group, it, you should be able to get a little bit more out of this group, uh, in my opinion. And I can understand some of that frustration. Boudreaux is at certain points to kind of left 
speechless because he doesn't know what else to say at certain times when, you know, maybe that battle level isn't there. So it's been pretty quiet, but you can, you can most certainly kind of see that there is, you know, for a coach that has one of the highest winning percentages in league history in the regular season, it does take a toll on, on Boudreaux. And he's a guy that doesn't like losing very much. And, and we're starting to see that in Vancouver. Uh, Randy, is there any fan, is there any section of the fan base that has faith in the ownership? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, that's being tested right now. If there is, you know, the what fans in this market right now are looking for is direction. And you asked about the Connor Bedard sweepstakes earlier on, and it feels like in this market that a rebuild would be welcomed with open arms. You know, I, I know that there's probably a lot of casual fans or that are probably saying, hey, no, we want to see a, a, a winning product or something that is a competitive product. But for all those years in purgatory, I think fans want to see direction from the highest level of the, you know, the, the organization. And, and that for a number of years has been by any means necessary compete. But I don't know if there is any, you know, that faith there. If, if you come back with a, hey, we're going to still try to compete after this year. And if they don't make the playoffs, which, you know, with that defense, it's going to be tough. You've got a goals against of 3.85, which is 30th in the league it's going to be a difficult proposition to sell. So I, I think there may be a little bit to answer your question, but it's waning right now because that, mm. that direction is what the, the fan base is looking for to say, all right, what are you? Look at the product right now. Look at that back end, especially that right-hand side. You know, when you compare it to the teams like Vegas, like Calgary when healthy, uh, other defensive units like Colorado, which is the gold standard in the NHL, Canucks fans are, are a pretty bright bunch. They're a, a knowledgeable, you know, sometimes they have more, more uh, you know, info than the broadcasters in the city. And that's a credit to Canucks fans. They love their team. Uh, so they're saying, hey, we know our stuff. Give us a product that, that represents being competitive. Not here in a, a one-year vacuum, but a three-, four-, five-year window. And I think that's where the fan base, especially the hardcore fans, people that have been following this team for a long time, they're, they're kind of trending in that direction right now. Uh, Randy, but I like to make uh, NHL fashion my passion. Um, wh- when is uh, when is the team going to go back to the skate? The beautiful Trevor Linden, Kirk McLean, Stan Smeal, Pavel Bure, you know, black and gold skate, just a beautiful sweater. Instead of having a corporate logo, and I get it, you know, Pacific Coast, I get all of that. But bring back the skate as as the as the primary jersey, right, Randy? Are you with me? I'm with you, and I gotta say, I'm on Calgary radio, so I have to tell you, it's called the Brown DeBerry jersey. Uh, when I do when I do radio hits in Calgary, just uh, okay, that's a little bit of trolling for you guys on um, '94. But um, no, I love that jersey. I love that jersey. Yeah, bring it, it back. It, no, so I grew up. I'm I'm what 36 years old now. So 1994 was was my kind of hockey education. That series, of course, against the Calgary Flames later on the Toronto Maple Leafs and eventually a Stanley Cup final against the Rangers, that jersey today, the black one especially, mm-hmm. is one of the most intimidating jerseys when you have that black jersey. I, I'm with you. I think, you know, originally I used to say, bring it out every now and then. You don't want too much of a good thing. No, I want a, a good thing now. I want to see that jersey as much as possible. To me, it's one of the A, nicest, and B, black jerseys are just generally meaner. They look more intimidating. Hmm. Players themselves have even talked about how they feel like they're more pumped up when they're wearing them. If the players say that themselves, guys, 
Yeah. You have to make it the permanent. You have to bring it back. Like, look what the Flames did with their kit now. They went a little old school. It's beautiful. One of the beautiful, most beautiful jerseys in all the NHL. Bring I'm back the it. skate in Vancouver. Damn it, Randy. Let's do it. Uh, great stuff today, pal. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. There he goes, uh, Randy Janda, Hockey Night Canada, Punjabi host and Canucks game analyst at Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. Bring back the skate, right? Oh, yeah, I'm in. I like that jersey. Like this, it's like they literally have a corporate logo when it was. Or, I don't know if it's still Orca Bay. I don't know if the whatever. It's a corporate logo. Like it's dumb. Back when Anaheim had the uh, the Disney Mighty Ducks yeah, logo, but they were named. I, but I. But that's and different because they they're named Disney after. And... Yeah, but they were named after the movie, and I get all of that. But when you adapt a corporate logo as your primary logo, yeah. And they have what's his name Johnny Canuck. What's his name on the sweater? Yeah, now? Johnny Canuck. Yeah, yeah. And then teams like on just the put an L. Retro. He's holding an L the whole time, oh, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but bring back the skate for the Canucks. I actually kind of beautiful like, sweater. I kind of like the reverse retros. I love their their the the skate. I know the exact one you're talking about. It's a very nice jersey. Yeah. But I will say of the reverse retros this year that we saw, I actually quite like the Canucks. Uh, real quick here, which one do you like better for the Flames uh, third sweater? It's the Blasty, Blasty or the Pedestal? Blasty. Pedestal's nice, too. Like I've said, the Pedestal is the fourth best Flames kit, and it's probably better than 60% of the jerseys in the NHL. Like, it's really nice. It's very nice. And they look good on television. Yeah, they look great on television. But Blasty is... Blasty. Because it's yeah. it gives you Jerome McGinley vibes. Yeah, and the Pedestal did, too. But those were like when they were like really, really bad. Really bad. Uh, Tommy Wilden Jr. Draft and then no. oh my, what a yes. Um, I just think of Rick Tabaracci in the pedestal jersey. Um, Tommy Wilden Jr. Cavalry FC head coach and manager. The bottom of the hour. We'll tee up the semifinal between France and Morocco at the World Cup. We'll give away day number eight of our twelve days of Christmas at our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Uh, keep those texts rolling in nine sixty nine sixty. Name and location. Something you've done eight hundred times outside of the mundane. Uh, because Alex Ovechkin scored his eight. 100th goal last night in the National Hockey League. But first, the Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast is back in the evening. Yes, Thursday, February 2nd at Winsport Event Center. We're on the hunt for our next two amateur hockey teams to join us on the ice and have their game broadcasted over our 960 airwaves. For more info to come, but save the date and enter your team now at sportsnet.ca slash 960. The two winning teams will be chosen and contacted around December 30th. We're going to be a part of that broadcast. We're having a meeting this week about it. What We're our going role to is going to be. Roles. I'm excited. Who should do what the play-by-play? What do you want to play? do? I definitely do not want to do play-by-play. Me neither. I can't speak that fast. I think Pat Steinberg should do the play-by-play. I like doing color commentary above anything else. If sure. I had to do that for I, a broadcast. I don't mind going between the benches and doing uh, interviews that way. I could also do public announcing. That's very easy. Yeah, but I could do it. And I think we should send our Alex Brody in the crowd to interview the crowd. Brody on the beat. Yeah. And then we'll, maybe we bump Brody on the beat to Friday that week because... So many possibilities. Well, listen, it's in February, so we got to make sure we have that week locked down. So many possibilities. So many. Uh, straight ahead, Tommy Wilden on the World Cup. We'll have a soccer report. We'll give away a prize. It's all straight ahead. Big show. Russick and Rose. Sports at 960. The Fan.
You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Still a lot of business to attend to on the show. Coming to you live from the... Oh, yeah. Doug Lacey, downtown basement systems studio. All the time. Serving Calgary and Southern Alberta since 19... 92. Uh, we got a soccer report we got to get to. We got a giveaway day number eight of our 12 days of Christmas from our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Alex Ovechkin scored his 800th goal last night in the National Hockey League. What's something outside of the mundane you've done at least 800 times? 960, 960 name and location. We'll give away that prize to wrap up the show. But right now, uh, we got the second semifinal at the World Cup today between France and Morocco to tee it up. Our man. Cavalry FC manager, we say good morning to our pal, Tommy Wielden Jr. Tommy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, George. How are you, man? We're good. Uh, you're, you're France here in the semifinals. That was your pick in our World Cup draft here. I know you want them to win, so we'll take you out to some free drinks and some free lunch. I know you got a little <laughs> skin in the game when it comes to this, but are you like me secretly hoping an African team can actually get to the final of a World Cup for the first time? Yeah, of course. Listen, I'm obviously bittersweet because um, I think the England-France game was a, was a cracker. And um, obviously, being born in England, wanted them to advance. But France just have that World Cup winning mentality, don't they? They know how to play. Um, but how romantic would it be to see Morocco yeah. keep going? Because they've had the hardest drawing. I mean, tied Croatia, beat Belgium, beat Spain, beat Portugal. And now they line up against uh, France. So it's uh, it's... It's you know, beat Canada as well, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good game because you can't write them out. They've done a defensive masterclass under Walid Regragui, and um, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a good game. Uh, do you think they're going to try to, as as we talked to when we did the things with Matty Rose, are they going to try to park the bus today? Is it going to be yeah. A, yeah. an instance where, hey, let's get this to penalties, let's roll the dice, let's take our <laughs> chances here because Mbappe yeah. is such a dangerous player. Yeah, and, and what a great education you started this uh, World Cup off with, with that soccer <laughs> symptom. So it, uh, it, it, uh, that's exactly what you're going to see. It's got them this far. Um, uh, do you know what? Even, even French, you're noticing a lot in this World Cup. See, I've always been a, a fan of the, the pressing game, right? And, you, and you're in people's faces. But I think what you're seeing now, maybe it's the climate being in the desert. Maybe it's the quick turnaround in games. You've seen a lot of teams, kind of what we call the mid-block, where they're between the end, edge of the opponent's 18-yard box, the edge of the center circle. I think with Morocco, you will see them deeper in their half. And, you know, a lot of it now has to do with uh, the leadership in their back line. Roman Seiss, you know, he's out. He was their captain. There are other center-backs out. So I think they're going to just protect as much as they can and maybe leave it to Nesri to get them on the counter and, and hit France that way. Wanted to ask you about yesterday's match as well as Argentina moves on. I had asked you prior to the match what we were going to see from uh, Lionel Messi and a massive performance from the leader yeah. for Argentina. Yeah. What did you make of uh, his uh, his match yesterday? Well, and I think in a World Cup of you know these defensive masterclasses we're seeing, it's it's still I think a treat to us to this next generation of fans um, with all the eyes on it to see it's the skill that we're still in awe of because there's an old saying you know. Destruction is easier than creation because, you know, a bulldozer knocking down a, a block of flats is a lot quicker than the time it takes to build it. And I think we still need to see that magic. You know, we still need to see Mbappe today with magic. And Messi, when not all the world's eyes were on them, 
uh, delivered that masterclass. And I think what you, what you're seeing with Argentina now is, you know, names that we might recognise a little bit more: Di Maria, um, Dybala, even Lissandro Martinez, are actual on the outside and, and are, are role players coming into the game late. They've got a lot of team shit players that are allowing Messi to do his bit of magic, but they're so well drilled, and it allowed Messi to shine yesterday and. He, he set up the goals for Alvarez very, very well, and he also took his own with the PK with, with a plum. Tommy, is, is this a case where I know that this, this debate has raged on for years? Who's the greatest soccer player of all time? Is it Messi? Is it Ronaldo? But if Messi gets it done on Sunday in the final, whoever he plays against France or Morocco, that conversation's over now, right? Because he's literally put Argentina on his back to win this tournament. Well, that, that's the only thing that will probably separate him and Cristiano Ronaldo, isn't it? Because you know Ronaldo won the Euros with Portugal. Messi's just won the Copa America with Argentina. If he has the World Cup, then you know it leans the debate in his favour. I think what we've got to enjoy is we're living in a time where previous uh, generations had the joy to watch both Maradona and Pele at the same time. Mm. We've seen two absolute Goliaths go toe to toe, whether it be for Real Madrid and Barcelona, whether it be for Portugal or Argentina. The, the records that they've mutually set, there's a different conversation depending on the outcome. So when Real Madrid had won the, the Champions League, you know, Ronaldo was dubbed the GOAT. But now if Messi pulls this off, you have to say that he has taken the country on his back and done it like Maradona did in 86. Tommy Wilden Jr. Uh, joining us here, Cavalry FC manager on the big show, Russick and Rose Sports at 960. The fan on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, When you're talking about France, you mentioned Mbappe. The speed is so incredible. uh, The way he just backs off defenders. But I wanted to ask you, and this is so inside soccer, about Antoine Griezmann in the midfield role he has right now with France and how difficult Mm -hmm. that is from a guy who's paid to score goals at the club level, Mm -hmm. kind of being a more defensive player and kind of setting things up for guys like Mbappe and Giroud and playing that secondary role here for his country. How special is that and being a manager, how tough is that to, for a guy of his, of, of his ilk, of his ability, and of his stature to say, hey, we need you to play yeah. this role for your country? Yeah, great question. It all comes down to his character, and I'm sure Deschamps knows that, and we've seen that. I think because of his movie, he obviously went from Atletico Madrid to Barcelona, but Barcelona, you know, they're, they're, they're the protagonists. Atletico Madrid are the antagonists of the game. So I think when Griezmann returned to Atletico Madrid, you see that that culture is used to being more about the team, more about uh, their structure than having the ball. I think he's, I think Deschamps, the French uh, national team manager, has just said, well, listen, here's the attributes you've got. We like to have a target striker, whether it's Giroud or Benzema. Benzema wasn't at this World Cup. Giroud, again, another one that's selfless. You know, Benzema's had all these accolades in his, in his club teams, but Giroud's the all-time leading scorer. So you put it into that and you say, look, we've got Mbappe that at 19, he's already got one World Cup. He's 23, he could have two World Cups and we could be having a different conversation next World Cup about who's going to become the greatest, right? And and you've got Dembele on the other side and then you're in midfield with Rabiot and Tuchemini. These guys do a lot of groundwork to allow, which Deschamps as a player, when he played and won it in, in 98, he did a lot of that. So he's probably been able to give some great data points to say, look, Antoine, we can get you on the ball. We can get you providing um, the, the people around you and you're going to be a key cog. And actually against England, he was everything. He was a creator. He was a disruptor. He knew when to foul and break England's play up. He knew when to drop and screen the passes into the midfield. 
I think he's just had a phenomenal World Cup under the radar because, like you said, he's usually the one that's scoring the goals. He's doing so much more, but it might not be recognized um, to the naked eye. When we talk about a guy like Mbappe, uh, a lot of people reference the pace that he has, the speed, the Mm. pure just breakaway speed that this guy possesses. Where does it kind of rank as far as the all-time greats that you've seen, as far as the speed that this guy can play with? Well, and and you look at a a younger Cristiano Ronaldo that used to play in a similar role where he would cut in off of the left as a a winger. You know, it's a lot you see in these, these second strikers and now wide players that are drifting in to allow the left or right fullback to overlap them on the outside lane. You know, as a coach, we always try and split the, the field north to south in five channels. And in attack, you want to spread five of those channels with, with as many players as, as you can and then support underneath for the defensive transition. What Mbappe's doing is he's getting closer to Giroud. He can play, he can stop, start. He's, he's like any world-class player, whether it's your Messi, your Ronaldo's, your, your Ronaldo from, from Brazil, Lafayette, you know, uh, Ronaldinho, all these players had that um, great change of pace that could slow time. And then they could go at their own pace. He's been phenomenal to watch. In, fa- in fairness to, to Kyle Walker in England and Gareth Southgate, I thought against England, they did a great job of quieting them down. So it'll be interesting to see now against Morocco, who will have a lower line. They're going to give him less space to run into. Uh, Tommy, uh, we know the World Cup now just essentially, well, the third place uh, match is always a total cash grab for FIFA. I don't think a lot of us really take the third place match really that seriously. But uh, this Winter World Cup we're seeing for the first time, did you kind of like it this time of year? Because I know it's disrupted so much club football in the bigger leagues in Europe, and there was a lot of cynicism attached to this Mm -hmm. World Cup. But did you like it being played this time of year because it was so different? Or you think, thankfully, this is just a one-off? Or you'd maybe want to see this again down the road. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's disrupted the, the majority of, of club calendars across the world. But actually, it's suited the calendar that I live and work in. So selfishly, <laughs> I've enjoyed it because, you know, getting up at 5 a.m., we're not traveling on the road to a road game. I'm not off to training and starting our preparations at 8 a.m. You know, I'm able to watch, you know, those back-to-back games. And then come the noontime, it's lunchtime, so you're watching another game. So selfishly, I'll probably watch more of this World Cup than I have. You know, previously, I'd have to, you know, pause it on PVR, come back, watch it later. And, you know, by then, everyone's told you the result anyway. So you're just watching it for the sake of it. Um, I've enjoyed it. I've spoke to a few people that have been there. Um, They said, you know, Qatar being great hosts. I know there's been a lot of controversy about how it got there. But the people that have visited and the natives have been phenomenal to them. I think the, the the facilities, the support, you know, we haven't really heard much about the hooliganism. Is that something that's linked also with their policies around drinking in the stadiums? Um, uh, you know, you, you hear, hear and feel the Moroccan fans, the Argentina fans. Uh, you've seen it everywhere. And I think that, that was something apparently... You know, when Canada played Morocco, it was overwhelming, the, the Moroccan support in there. So I think it's been a really good World Cup. Um, I think as a purist, I'd probably like to see it go back to its usual place in the summer. But uh, I think it's been one that I've enjoyed as a spectator. Tommy Wilden, Junior Cavalry FC head coach and manager. Tommy, uh, our man Matt Rose, he took Argentina. He's mm. in the final, so it's either going to be him versus you or uh, producer Patrick Dumas, who had Morocco as his dark horse who potentially could be in the final come Sunday. So should have put a little sprinkle sprinkle down. Matty Rose is waiting here in the final, hoping Messi can get it done so he can drink uh, and have some uh, drinks and lunch for free on us. So uh, we will find out Sunday. 
Sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks, gents. Sounds good. There he goes, Tommy Willen. Always great stuff on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Come in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. Are you you actually going to be invested in the final on Sunday? Because... I yesterday I watched more World Cup than I've watched since Canada got knocked out. Because you're like, please Argentina. Yeah, I turned it on and they were up two nil, and uh, yeah, they were up two nil, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, my prop had already been half completed with one messy shot on goal, and uh, the other leg was Argentina to win, so I watched the rest, and then they won. Uh, yeah, and, and again, I like I, that I can do other things while the game's on in the background. We we uh, those those goat debates are so frustrating because there's really never a correct answer. I know the Jordan it, Lebron drive me, debate drive me nuts. will will go on forever and ever and ever. But to me, this this Messi Ronaldo debate, Messi's literally put Argentina on his back. He's been phenomenal, and if he seals the deal on Sunday, because it feels like they're the team of destiny in this tournament. In the words of Vince Carter at the 2000 NBA Slam Dunk Contest, it's over. It's over. Like, the debate's done. You're doing the hand thing, at too. At this Boom. year, at, at this age, if Messi's going to win the World Cup, and Ronaldo's been kind of a, he was even sat being a bench player for Portugal. Sure was. It's over. Messi's the greatest of all time. In my opinion. I agree. Over. Done. Thank you. Yeah, I got you. Uh, soccer report straight ahead with our man, Alex Brody. But we, we got some business to attend to here. Some business. Uh, it's day number eight of our 12 Days of Christmas, courtesy of our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. We asked you, Alex Ovechkin scored his 800th goal last night in the NHL, which is just absolutely absurd. The third man ever to do it in the National Hockey League. So we've asked you on the text line, 960-960, name and location, something you've done at least 800 times outside of the mundane. We all know you've probably hit the snooze button 800 times in your life and swore when you got to go to work, but we've got some good ones here on the text line. Uh, Like Mike from the country, I've gone to the kitchen in the middle of the night to stuff my face about 800 times. Yeah. Who doesn't? I love going to the kitchen, getting a little snacky snack in the middle of the night. 800 times is a significant number. That'd be Mike. Uh, Emmett and Renfro. Uh, Hey, honey, just two beers and I'll be home. Times eight hundred times and then some. Yeah, I've I've been there as well. Or uh, Ryan and Cranston, who said I've said I will never drink again over eight hundred times. <laughs> yep. Um, Ethan and High River got my heart broken by the flames at least eight hundred and forty nine times since the year two thousand. Uh-huh, that's too bad. That feels like a lot. That's it's been a long time. But, uh, credit yeah. to Shirley here in Calgary. What a warrior! I've been <laughs> married twenty five years. I've done my husband about eight hundred times. Happy wife. Happy life. That, Good for you, Shirley. Um, That's consistency through 25 years. Doing God's work out there. I don't even know what the math works out to weekly. Eric in Calgary says there's probably been... Uh, yeah, you do that math. That's you important. Read a couple yeah, texts. you get, get your calculator out because this is important stuff. Um, there's probably been 800 times where I'm watching a movie or TV with my wife and she says, you're falling asleep. And I say, no, no, I'm good. And then I immediately fall asleep. I think I've also done that. Mm. I do that all the time. So that's at least 1.625 times a week for Shirley. Great. That's outstanding. It's a very Cal Ripken of Shirley. That's great numbers. The Iron career Man. average is incredible. Uh, Zamboni <laughs> Cody in Mackenzie Lake says, kicked in the pills by my three-year-old daughter while getting ready for the day. I'll tell you what, 
If that's happened 800 times, you're probably not going to have another dog. Yeah. And his name is Zamboni Cody? Yeah, I assume he drives a Zamboni. Now, is he like is he stuck for that job the rest of his life now because that's his nickname? Well, the thing is, like, Zamboni is a name brand. It's not actually the, the ice cleaner. Yeah. So maybe he's like the CEO. Maybe he is the okay. guy who runs Zamboni Cody, and then it's an awesome job. He probably makes a ton of money. Uh, my dad. Wow, Cody, you have my, so much money. My dad was the youngest of seven kids, so I have a lot of older cousins. Sure. This is such a thing from the 80s. Wayne from Edmonton, this might surprise <laughs> you. Oh, yeah. In the 80s, I'm sure I drove over the legal limit over 800 times. That's great, Wayne. <laughs> yeah. And also, you might as well follow that up with, I drive better when I'm drunk. No, you don't. <laughs> no, that's not, not true. That's not how it works. You just got to stay between your thumbs. Yeah, that's, no. No, that's not. Uh, it really calms me down. No, that's also uh, not true. Jay and Silverado, uh, I've crushed 40 plus wings on wing night about 800 times. <sighs> Yikes. I mm, Wing night's like a once a month type of thing for me. See, and, and this one from uh, Lieutenant Greg. Uh, how about attending 800 fire calls as a volunteer firefighter oh. with the old fire department? See, like, okay. you send us something like that, it's hard for me not to give him the prize because it's helping out humanity. Okay, I got Sure, Shirley's the model of consistency 1.6 times a week, but Lieutenant Greg over here, Lieutenant Dan Greg. <laughs> I got one more just because he's listening from a real far distance away. Uh, this one is uh, from Gus in Sheboygan. He says uh, 800 times I've sang Poka Poka Poka. Oh, okay. Poka Poka Poka. Poka Poka Poka. No? No. Um, John Candy, Home Alone? Yeah. Oh, okay. Fun reference. Uh, we have we have listeners in Idaho? Uh, no, that was actually Gus. Uh, Gus Polinski who texted that one in. Oh, okay, great. Um, okay. Uh, I think we got to give it to uh, Lieutenant Greg. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, like I... You know, we again. We, this is like one shot deal too, because we like to have a lot of fun. But it's just like having a kid on. We've already done that on this show. Yeah, I'm never going to give you another prize if you put your kid on. It's just we're not going to do that anymore here. So is this the last call for firefighters? Like, I appreciate all of our uh, frontline workers and what they do for humanity. <laughs> but I got to give it to. But as a group, you only you're get done. to use yeah. that card once yeah, to like, win yeah, a prize. We can't keep doing. Like I, I'm an ambulance driver. And I've been to over 800 calls. Okay, yeah, like what? And now you make me feel guilty that I'm not yeah. giving you a prize. Okay, yeah. Don't put you, don't put that on me. Yeah, no, yeah, not today, Satan. But uh, Lieutenant Dan Gregg. Uh, Pibiak? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Pibiak? Yeah. P-I-E-B-I-A-K. Sure, yeah. Sure. That uh, sounds like uh, a let's, last name. Let's open up the door for him. He's going to win. We'll send him on the text line. What do we got here, Garrett, on the eighth day? A golf shirt. Okay, a golf shirt. A golf shirt. Nice. Neato. I also like this music. It's very nice. Congratulations, uh, Lieutenant Dan Gregg. Uh, you win. A uh, golf shirt courtesy of our good friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Tomorrow, day nine of the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, we got a little more business to attend to before we say goodbye. Uh, our man, Alex Brody, geared up, his stomach full of pilk, ready to do uh, oh. the soccer report here. Uh, tee you up for the semifinals today between France and Morocco. Alex, take it away. Thank you, George. And this soccer report is brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. All right. And so the second semifinal officially gets underway today at noon. We have defending champions France taking on Morocco. 
Morocco already making history as the first African nation to ever make it to the semifinals at the tournament ever, whereas France looking to become back-to-back -back champions for the first time since Brazil did it in 1958 and 1962. France head into Wednesday's semifinal at Albayat Stadium against Morocco as overwhelming favorites. While France have the weight of big expectations, Morocco will be fearless. They've seen off some really great sides in Spain and Portugal, both with clean sheets. And yeah, if you like a good underdog story, Morocco is your team here. Once again, no one has scored on this Morocco team yet, except Canada technically did in an own goal. So that is a win for Canada. Once again, this one goes at noon today, and the winner will meet Argentina in the final on Sunday. This soccer board is brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. All right, thanks very much, Alex. Uh, who are you cheering for today? Do you oh, want I... France to win, or do you want to... I want to see the first African team in the World Cup final. I think it'd be cool. Plus 600. Yeah, Team Morocco for sure. Love the underdog story. Love a lot of the players on that team too, honestly, so... Yeah, And it's just a testament to how tough Canada's group was. Two semifinalists out of Canada's group. Like and my, Belgium. My goodness. And, and Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. Like, that is insane. And when Kevin De Bruyne has said at the beginning of the tournament, yeah, we're too old to win the tournament. We're Clearly he was right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and who knows uh, if if Alfonso Davies scores on that pen against Belgium, what, what would have happened to Canada at the World Cup? Couldn't agree more. What if, right? Yeah, what absolutely. If? What if. Um, that's it for us. Uh, for another day. Mm. Like, these three hours just shoot by here. No problem. Uh, Thursdays I go are usually... my guts, so... Are you? With yeah. all the stuff you ate? Um, yeah, there's Thursdays... some stuff going on I gotta deal with. Thursdays are super busy with us. Uh, we'll break down the Flames and Canucks. Uh-huh. 8 o'clock start tonight down at the Dome. The pastime or telethon gets going in, what, 10 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, he's on all day, all night. He's got you covered, Flames and Canucks. We'll break down the game for you. We'll talk to Ross Tucker tomorrow. We'll talk to Jen Botterill tomorrow from Our Hockey Night Bets, Canada. Brody on the Beat. Like, oh, and we got to talk about what we're doing for Brody on the Beat. Heaps of stuff to do. Okay. Uh, lots of stuff tomorrow. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Garrett, great job today uh, ingesting some gross food, too, uh, when you're thrown into uh, that situation. Thanks for being a great sport. That's it for us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.